0: Yeah
1: Welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. You've probably realised fairly quickly that David Fraser is not here today. So for another lockdown pod, it's me, Flo, and I'm joined by Paul Finney.
2: Good morning, folks.
1: (laughs) That's a real, uh, you know, kids telly voice you've got there, Paul. Jesus,
2: (laughs) Jesus, <laughs> that's not good for these days, I tell you.
1: <laughs> you. You missed out on a career there, I think. You could have been on CBBC or something.
2: Uh, or in a cell with half of my childhood heroes. Carry on.
1: Clive Whittingham, a.k.a. Love for Words.
3: Hello. Terrifying thought, Paul, on uh, kids' TV. That's that's finished me before we've even started.
1: <laughs> and, Clive, huh. if doing this in real life, we probably would have been clapping you in uh, to the tiny little room uh, in Islington but we'll give you a virtual hero's welcome after that tremendous Ali Fowlen, uh interview uh, that's um, I think a, a fraction of the length of War and Peace it's uh, it's quite the uh, hefty uh, hefty publication yeah.
3: yeah thanks that's that's kind i've basically been chasing that ever since he left the club Where, the first week that he left the club i got in touch with paul morrissey saying uh, Oh, do you think he'd like sit down and tell his story, like before he moves abroad or whatever? And uh, <laughs> they were like, "No, I don't think now's a good time, to be honest." Um, and <laughs> and we found out why in the interview. Obviously, um, kind of drifted on for a few years, and then I got hold of his uh, WhatsApp um, from a friend of a friend about a year ago, and I've just been intermittently bugging him to do it for about a year um the only sad thing about it was i was meant to meant to be going out there on a massive tax write-off uh and actually meeting him but obviously we're not doing any traveling for most of this year so uh, yeah we did it um uh on a facetime uh which is why i haven't been on your very fine podcast so Clive, uh,
1: it was just a, it wasn't just a lockdown inspired thing you were actually had it planned anyway during this time yeah
3: yeah, I've been bugging him for for ages because it's just it's an amazing story with all the all the injuries, all the ups and downs, everything that happened, the the initial transfer, is you know, all the contract stuff and he's never actually told that story to anybody really. Um so uh yeah, there's a few things few things that annoyed me afterwards like I'd, I'd completely forgotten the last home game of the season, second last home game of the season in the promotion season, he took a free kick with the last kick of the game to win it and win the championship at home to Hull. And the goalkeeper made a save the likes of which I've never seen. And I saw that last week after I'd spoken to him and I wish I'd asked him about that, but I guess, you know, three, three hours and all of that writing was probably enough.
2: To, to be honest, it was, it was, really, really honest and truthful. And I think what I came across in that is, and I think you were the best person to do it as well. You, you without, Setting them up you, you got the love you had for qpr and the hurt all in equal measure. so well done it was a bloody good interview and everyone who hasn't read it should read it because it doesn't feel like a long interview you just you're ending it wanting more actually if i'm being honest
3: yeah nicest thing you've ever said paul thank you very much
2: record that day i'll never have it again
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got chris charles with us hi there chris um you have a tendency to to give us a little uh a little camera view, um, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Um,
4: uh, I hope not today, because I've just got out the bath. <laughs> uh, no one wants to see
1: that. So um, we actually had a bit of news-ish this week, if you can call it news. But obviously, sorry, there is still no football happening. Um, so, we had a bit of an update from the EFL. Obviously, most of the conversation has been dominated by um, whether or not players and clubs are going to, and the PFA are going to be able to negotiate some kind of wage deferral. But there was an update yesterday from EFL chairman Rick Parry about when football might start up again. And he didn't actually say a specific date because no one really knows. But he did say that it's pretty likely we will come back behind closed doors and uh, the games will be played and streamed uh, or televised. Um, I don't know what anyone else thinks about that. Uh, Do you think that's the right decision or do you think they should wait until they can come back and play it with fans or um, I don't know what everyone's opinions are on that one.
2: I don't think they've got a choice. Whatever they do, they're not going to please everyone and I just, feel, I just feel that whatever happens, Clive put it brilliantly the other week, if I may say something nice again, Clive, which is whatever they do, lawyers are going to get very busy and very rich.
3: I just, I think they're, they're obviously laying the groundwork for the behind closed doors thing. And there's been a couple of stories this week that says we're not going to be able to have like gatherings and sporting events with crowds until 2021, which is just, so depressing to to think about that and I guess if it does go on that long then the you know you you have to you have to play behind closed doors I guess. Um and the the other positive of it is it does get the season finished and it answers that question. But for me it just it brings up so many other problems particularly for the teams in leagues one and two because they've at the moment been able to furlough a lot of their staff. um, And if they were playing behind closed doors. They'd have to bring all them back and pay them. They'd have to pay appearance fees, bonuses, uh, travel expenses, all of that to play the games without the match matchday income. So I just, it, it seems to exacerbate the the situation to me, um, you know, without going into how terrible sport is when you, when you don't have a crowd. Um, apart from finishing the league, I didn't really see too many advantages to it. No,
4: I think whatever happens, if you do that, there's got to be some sort of compensation. I know that that's what they're pushing for, who and and pays that and when. But I think like you hit the nail on the head club. I mean, the, the lower league clubs, I mean, some of them might not even survive this. It's, uh, it's obviously an unprecedented situation. But uh, yeah, it, it, there doesn't seem to be any easy answers to this. No, yeah, I don't want to sound think, like I'm. Sorry.
3: I, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm just being negative because you know there is no easy, there's no easy answer. So there's there's always going to be something wrong with whatever they decide, and I d- I do wonder if it's perhaps um, a bit of desperation just to shovel some content Sky Sports way because if if the television deal goes away, as we've previously discussed, and the whole you know you saw what happened when ITV Digital. Folded, and that was replaced by another television deal. If the television deal goes away, the whole thing just falls apart, you know, almost overnight. So I do wonder if the desire to to play behind closed doors is partly a desire just to shovel some content Sky Sports way so that they keep sending the checks. I think
2: I think the thing about prize money as well. You're right there, but the thing with prize money is they'd have to filter down from the top league to the bottom league and just share it like evenly. many clubs to get over that because I don't think anyone cares about anything other than getting the season finished getting people promoted, relegated, whatever Um, but I just can't I mean, I just can't see how this is going to please everyone, it just, because teams like us thrive on having a packed Loftus Road, do you know what I mean, And just the thought of it in an empty stadium, hearing the players talk and everything else, it's just it'll get it done, but I think Clive's right we'll probably end up having to pay for it as well which would be bizarre Unless they can come to the summer range of the sky, which would be even weirder. I don't know. It's gonna imagine like empty stadiums all over every week, and I don't know. It's it's just gonna be so weird. But you know, the thing is, they're gonna have to get the season done. Otherwise, if it's not to twenty twenty one, it'd be like playing in front of bloody MK Keens every week.
3: And the um, they've got to make sure the technology is up to it because on the on the rare occasions when I've been away with work um, and had to had to watch the stream, you know, the QPR stream is very good with the commentary and everything, but it falls over. You know, very regularly for me. I think I've had my money refunded about half the times I've used it. Um, and that's only with a few hundred people watching. This would be like 13,000 people all trying to watch the same stream. So they'd, they'd have to make sure the technology was up for it. And as, as I said on this podcast about five weeks ago, when we were talking about playing behind closed doors, it kind of assumes that the players are superhuman and aren't going to get ill Um you know, I, I suppose you can keep them in isolation. You can keep the group together as as best you can. But you know, this the whole suspension came about because a chel, uh, was it Callum Hudson-Odoi and Arteta at um, Arsenal got yeah. ill, and I just, you know, what what if we came back, played a couple of games behind closed doors, and then two or three of our players picked this horrible virus up? You know, we'd then either be forced to play without them, which isn't fair, or Presumably, everyone that's played with them and against them in the previous behind closed doors game would have to isolate for two weeks, and so then the games would be off again. I just, I don't really see how that works unless you're going to literally keep the players in, you know, isolation permanently, like between games. And
1: I just yeah, I see think how it works. I think the, uh, there's so many there's so many levels to it as well because. The, the the players need about a month to get up to match fitness because even if you have the <laughs> luxurious home gym in the world you will not be fit enough to start playing a ninety minute game so there's I think they're you know they're thinking about that too and also when you look at the madness um, that's already being you know it's caused in Scotland with Rangers readying lawyers left right and centre the, the, the we know the season has to be finished because of that but at what cost? And like you said, Chris, the, the EFL are looking for someone to help them with this because they can't really afford to shell out the compensa- compensation. And I know Sky have hinted that they won't necessarily ask the Premier League um, to give the money back for the rights, but BT definitely are. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the situation is with the EFL deal, but um, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a similar scenario. And obviously it's a lot less, but... Maybe Sky are just feeling generous now, and that will change further down the line. But in terms of what the women's league is uh, supposedly proposing, is one central base, likely St George's Park, where, where in, in order to minimise, you know, people getting ill, everyone would send on St. George's Park for six weeks, play all the games behind closed doors, I presume with some kind of stream and do it that way Um, and I know there was talks of the Premier League doing, you know, there were stories in the papers of the Premier League doing something similar a couple of weeks ago but that just feels quite strange but with all the going to and from stadiums, you know, there's going to be a chance that um, players are going to get ill but We can obviously talk about this kind of, um, you know, what might happen, and we don't know yet, but at least there was some sort of update yesterday. But everyone's sort of looking and pointing fingers and waiting for other people to make decisions, so it's hard. Um, But Flo,
2: Flo, you know as well as I do, as we all do, that people will still try and turn up and watch games, and that's the other theory, Um, as Paris uh, PSG found out, when people turned up inside the stadium. So it's going to have to be... yeah, I, I can't see it happening because people will turn up. There's no two ways about it. People will turn up. You've really got to go to your local supermarket and your house. We've really seen that some people are still not really being very clever about this whole thing.
3: Yeah, maybe we could hold the games on Westminster Bridge. I don't think the virus exists there. <laughs>
1: That's a really good show. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bubble. Um, So every week we've been uh, coming up with a new theme or something to talk about and focus on. Uh, And this week is no different because there's obviously no football. Uh, So this week we've decided to focus on the 10-11 season, which... Uh, is not exactly new to the content streams because you know it's something that the club focuses on a lot, like we all do, because it's a rare glimpse of uh, of success for QPR, and uh, there was a fantastic little montage of all of Adel to Rap's goals from the season the other day, which is a great watch if anyone hasn't uh, watched it yet. So we're going to be talking about that season, but we're going to bring someone on to chat about it with us. Uh, someone who spent six seasons at QPR uh, a fantastic player we've had on the podcast before uh, and a real character as well so we're going to chat to Clint Hill about that season we're joined oh, now by someone who played a massive part in that promotion season 2010 2011 and uh, i think is it 100, nearly 170 appearances for QPR uh, Clint Hill how are you doing Clint i'm
0: oh, very well thank you how's everyone
1: yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, where are you? Where are you based at the moment? Uh, I'm on the Wirral, so
0: um, yeah, we moved back here roughly three, four years ago when when the career finally ended. So um, yeah, we've been here ever since then.
1: And we've been kind of uh, throughout these like you know non football playing lockdown QPR podcast. Every week we've been choosing um, different sort of nostalgic things to focus on and uh you came up a lot in our in our uh, dream uh, 11 team as well clint you'll be pleased to know um, Thank you very much. um and i think that's probably because of a lot of it is because of that 2010 11 promotion season would you say that's you know your best memories at rangers
0: um i've got a lot of memories i've got a lot of memories some good some bad um I spent a lot of time there. You know, when when you look back, it's 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 a long part of your career. Um, I think over six seasons. So I've got a lot of good memories of the place. Obviously, that the, the title winning season was was massive because I've never ever won anything like that before. Um, and, and the way we did it, the way we played, the style we did it in um, was was unique. Um, obviously, there's another memory where I've gone to Wembley and lifted a trophy as captain of, of QPR, which has got to be right up there as well. So. I'm very lucky that um, uh, I've had some good memories at the club.
1: And when you came in in July um, under Warnock, like what, what, what were your initial thoughts? Did you think coming in and did he say to you, like, we're going for the title? Uh,
0: no, no, not really. I wouldn't say he put that kind of pressure on us. We had a large influx of transfers, if you remember, that, that summer. Um, and for everyone to hit the ground running, Um, was a big, big ask. Um, So for the way it to click the way it did was unique. Um, But I think the characters that he brought into the team and some of the lads that were left um, from previous regimes um, just seemed to have gelled. You know, we had the magic ingredient of of Bedell as well, who was a magnificent player. And then you had the, the master of promotions, Neil Warnock, Kind of just doing what he does on a daily basis to keep everyone ticking over. So um, the way everything aligned, what um, was a special, special, special ingredient?
2: Go, on, Clint. Sorry, jumping on, jumping on a wee bit to the season we went up. I know we're focusing on one season, but you know, what I'm like, I never stick to the rules. Um, <laughs> when do you think the club sacked nil too soon? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Um, I always look back and think. You always look at other clubs and, and, and look how they, they approach their promotions. Um, and you look at Burnley, uh, OK, they're a bit of a yo-yo team. I think West Brom were in the same mold as well earlier in the Premier League history. Um, they had about two or three goals at it really before they cemented themselves as as a proper Premier League outfit. So they, they kind of yo-yoed from promotion to relegation to promotion. But they always built a foundation. You, know, you look at Burnley now, the, the way they are. Um, they've been very patient. They came down a couple of times, went back up. They built a new training ground, which is which is unbelievable. I went round there last year, um, and you just look and think: if if we if we'd done it a little bit differently, would be would we be in a better place? Um, yeah, yeah. I'd be lying if I think um, if I, I would be lying if I wasn't honest with you. I think we could have done it better.
2: Mm, I think that's a fair comment, actually.
0: In the um, in the in the
3: promotion season, Clint. I mean, we had a sort of Neil Warnock pre-season, kicking around Cornwall and and playing a lot of golf by the sounds it. Oh, How good things.
0: was it? It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> they were brilliant. Days. <laughs> but you,
3: but then you you start the season with three wins, three clean sheets, and then that game at Derby. I mean, did you see it coming? And and at what point did you realise? You know, we've got a real chance here. So I've I,
0: I, I, what did I do? I, I read um, Ali Fallon's interview that you'd done with him. What a great guy. And I think he said the first possession we ever did was in, it was in Cornwall as a new team. And he thought, wow, I think we're worse than we are last season. <laughs> 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 so, uh, so I think, um, yeah, I don't think we were expecting it to click the way you did, mate, to be honest with you. <laughs>
3: and and at, what was it, the derby game or at what point did you all sort of realise, oh, you know, we we were actually quite good? <laughs>
0: um. Yeah, I mean, obviously to, to come back the way we did there was 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 very, very good. Uh, we didn't play well at all. Um, and I think definitely the story of that season was if we didn't play too well, we always came away with something. Um, we always tried to come off the part with a point at least. Um, and, and there was a few draws in there. So it, it just shows the strength of character of the team um, and the strength of the bench if we're being honest as well. There's some some big players on that bench who came on the, onto the pitch and changed games for you. So a real good squad effort all around. Do
2: you know what really annoys me about that team? Um, sorry, um, Chris, I'll just ask this quickly. Um, they never We never got the credit we deserved as being a really good football side. I mean, for Water, I know he always was this long ball thing that everyone said, but to me, that was probably one of the best footballing teams he ever put together. And I'm just really annoyed that we never ever got the credit for that because I bet that football was some of the best I've seen in donkey's years at QPR.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done a little interview with the club the other day because I watched it by like everyone else there the rewind of the season. And you forget, you don't forget how good the team was, but you forget how good the football was at times. Like you said, I mean, some of the goals we scored were were unbelievable. I think there's one there. Well, there's, there's numerous occasions of outside of the right foot over the back line in for a goal wanting to hide a header somewhere. His he chest and volleys it over the keeper was just sublime. Um, and I think I think Neil Warnock gets tainted with that brush a little bit, you know, of being not a good, uh, attractive style of play, which is which does him a harsh service, to be honest with you. And I think that team that year was had everything. It could fight. they could play. they could mix it when it wanted to. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It didn't really get the credit it deserved.
3: They gave Paul Lambert Manager of the Year. I'd forgotten that until we,
0: uh, until we watched it back the other day. Warnock didn't even get Manager of the Year. <laughs> like... yeah, that's just it's nonsense. It? If, if you've won the if you've won the league, especially the championship, which you know is it, so hard to win, it's 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 got to be the manager who's won the league. It's got to be. And
3: the, particularly the state we were in when when he sort of took us over. I mean, you came in after a, a couple of months from Palace. What was your perception of? Uh, of QPR, you know, as an outsider coming in, because we were a bit of a shambles, you know, up until yeah. the point that he arrived.
0: I outside looking in, I thought you had you had the base of a very good team. But I thought when when it really got a bit nasty or if it got a little bit a bit roughed up at times, I thought that they, the the team didn't stand up to it. If you know what I mean. There's a lot of flair players, there's a lot of players when it clicked it was really good. But when when the heat was on and, and when he needed to dig in uh, and, and dig some results out, then that's what I question more than anything but um uh, yeah, I, when we all came in on the first day of pre season especially with a manager like Neil Warnock, who had i think he had three or four months prior to me going there to instill his philosophy um yeah it, it wasn't a team that was, was going to be getting was going to be getting messed around with that season, I know that. And uh, how easy I, I,
3: asked, I, I, I asked Ali this as, as well. One of the rare defeats that season was at, at Millwall and then all the FA charges and everything came out the following day. So I, I, I wondered if you guys had, you know, seen that coming and knew something was coming down the line, but but he said no. So how was that last oh. two months of the season with all that swirling around?
0: Um. It was difficult. I think I think it was more difficult for Ali, Ali falling, because obviously it kind of rested on his shoulders and, and, and the, the questions were kind of aimed at his transfer. But um, and we just tried to rally around him, you know, try and keep him positive because he was a hell of a player for us, so important to our team and the way we played and just try and keep his morale up. Um, and then obviously, uh, as the games kind of come towards the end, uh, you're you running out of time and there's there's no kind of, information coming through, the headlines sensationalised by some absolute rubbish newspapers <laughs> telling you what might happen. Um, yeah, it, it does kind of start to, to play on you a little bit, but we have such a tight group and we just kind of, you know what I say, like, you kind of get together and you you kind of ignore all the noise around you and you just concentrate on what you can do on, on a daily basis.
4: Clint. um I was just going to ask you to take you back to, to when you first joined QPR. How, how easy a decision, first of all, was it to come? And were you aware that some of the QPR fans were, let's say, a little underwhelmed by the sight of you and Sean? <laughs> oh,
0: hey, I certainly knew after my first home uh, pre-season game, I think it was against Plymouth. Um, I certainly knew there was a few people there who didn't want me or Sean Derry around the football club. Um, <laughs> but, no, listen, Once, uh, once Neil kind of contacted me, um, when I came towards the end of my palace uh time, and he made it clear that he wanted me in the team and and kind of had put his presentation to me then it, it was a no brainer um I mean I love London towards the end of it i didn 't like it when I first arrived uh, when I was at palace i, I, I was a northern boy i didn 't really like it down there um but but as I stayed there, the longer i I kind of grew to love it so another couple of years in london i was I was looking forward to um and it was a big challenge it was a big challenge QPR were kind of in mid tableish um and it, it was a good challenge to try and get that club to where we where we got it to yeah to be fair
4: at one stage it was the, the season before it looked like you know we 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 might be going down and then ironically it was a 2-0 win at, at palace, palace that yeah. sort of yeah. uh, got us back on track kept us up
0: almost yeah it was yeah you know I remember that game yeah um, i think akos akos scored a screamer didn't he that's yeah. pretty sure I'm yeah. pretty sure he did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did that, that day and you managed to get a two 0 win and we had to go right to the death um against Sheffield Wednesday, the last day of the season, to to get a draw to stay up, which was which was pretty epic to be honest with you, especially with the ten point administration Palace I had at the time. So that was another achievement in its own right. You,
3: you ended up playing with us for, for, for several years and uh, I, I wonder, is this just Neil Warnock you know, telling one of his stories that he only thought there was one more year left in you and you had an ankle like a cement mixer and all of that? <laughs> is that just Neil being Neil or or was that generally the plan? You were going to come for one year and you ended up doing, well, three Premier League seasons and, and becoming a bit of a ledge?
0: Uh, I tend to outstay your welcome sometimes. Um, <laughs> I kind of get a bit stubborn. I get a bit stubborn when people start doubting me so... Um, I, I try and kind of prove a point and stick around a bit longer if I can um, mm-hmm. but um, no, I had a bad ankle I did, um, I think it's fair to say I, I never did a, a medical when I followed Neil Warnock around <laughs> he, he knew what I was like um, but to be fair the, the physios there at the time really looked after me and Neil did as well um, I was I was always this kind of player who wanted to train every day uh, 100% fly into everything um, but he kind of instilled in me that I didn't need to um he said listen you, you pick the days that I train and and he picked times to take me off from the training ground as well which was very helpful and um, and a lot of injections helped as well
3: <laughs> oh, oh god
0: uh, but
3: the follow, following season like you got sent off on on day one and then you ended up getting loaned out I mean did you yeah. think sort of time was up then and and how did you wind your way back into into things from there
0: um yeah, yeah, I thought my time was up. Definitely. Um, obviously, I got sent off. and it was Bolton where we had a terrible start. Um, got sent off, and then kind of in and out of the team. Uh, a lot of players came in as well that summer, and I was, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy not playing. I didn't enjoy training and having nothing at the end of it. So, um, me and Neil had a good chat, um, and I managed to go and see uh, Steve McLaren at Nottingham Forest and have a month there. I think the, the idea was to stay for three and then see what happened. Um, but for whatever reason, I got called back after a month. And I think we played in that, that famous Chelsea game, the 1-0. Um, so it's it's just mad. Football's mad how it turns around. You can be out the team one minute um, and all of a sudden you're playing against an experienced Chelsea team in the Premier League and pulling off a famous 1-0 victory. It's absolute madness.
3: Yeah, I think we got, done, we got done 6-0 at Fulham. I think that's what happened. <laughs> That'll get a recall straight away. Is
0: that when Adele got the bus on?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I the whole team were on the bus, the whole frigging first half. <laughs> yeah, I think that you. But, but going back to the season went up, I don't know about you, but I kind of knew at Derby and I kind of knew at Leicester, that something against Leicester, something really special was happening when did it? When did you actually think, Jesus, we've we've almost done this? Was it right up until the Watford away game, or was it long before then?
0: Oh, you you know you've got a good team. You you know you've got a good team, and you know you'll be there or thereabouts. But you need a bit of luck. Um, I I remember God, we went to Scunthorpe, we were bottom of the league, and we got battered. We were a bag of Tony rubbish. Willard. We were terrible, and then we, we stayed up for. Four days because we had Barnsley away on the Tuesday, which after a Scunthorpe defeat, it's not an easy game to go into. So we were like, oh God, this will tell us what we're made of. And then I think we went there and we won 1-0 away at Barnsley. Uh, Adele scored in the first two or three minutes. Uh, And we dug out a result that just showed what we were all about. Um, And I think that just kind of cemented a, we're a good team. We'll be in there. We'll be right in the mix come the end of the season.
4: Uh, Finney just mentioned the the Leicester game. I mean, that that for me was because we we got battered in that game, and uh, Paddy Kenny was just like superhuman that day. And there yeah, was
0: it, Yakuuba. Was it? Yeah. Was it Yakuuba? Was he playing for them? Was he? Yeah, Yakubu tried to lob him. Yeah, what was. was a hell of a save that? Wow, hell of a save.
1: Quinn, I just wanted to ask. Um as as a as a wise man who's obviously played in lots of different leagues um and could probably give some good advice to other players what what do you think is the real difference when you go from championship to premier league and with some of our players who were you know are possibly poised to make that step up in the summer and potentially leave the club and go to the premier league what would your advice be like what do you think teams take for granted when they go into that division
0: it's it's about taking your chances it's ruthless um, I think if, if you look at the levels of football I, I think you do find your levels of, as a player um, the ones who really make it to the top just keep, keep working hard and keep improving the game and, and confidence and mentality um, but I think the difference from Premier League to Championship is just the ruthlessness of the strikers and they take the chances they only need one or half a chance and it's a goal where Championship you might be able to get away with one maybe two League one, you might get three or four. And that's just the way it is. So the real top players just punish you so, so quickly, just from half an error that you might get away with from the lower leagues. But as soon as you play against the, the top boys in that high league, then you, then you get found out a lot, a lot more.
2: Going back to the Watford game, what's your memories of that game?
0: Um, I, I didn't play in that game. So I, I was on the bench because of, um, obviously, obviously, my ankle issues. Um, so I was on the bench... But I think we've come so close to winning games, I think, for the last two or three games before that. I think whole city, we were 1-0 up, and it went to 1-1. Um, and we just wanted to get the, we just wanted to get our hands on the trophy. So you just want to win the game as, as much as you can. Um, I thought the lads played fantastic. And then when, you see, when I'm watching the video back, you, you don't realise how many QPR fans were in the home end as well. So, so when, the, when the, the, the goals went in, and the, the, the video scan, there's people jumping up all around the stadium. You just forget how many QPR fans are in the stadium. <laughs> um, but yeah, the party was unbelievable. I mean, like that that kind of relief. If that's what it is. It's relief to get the job done because you, you've been you've been striving all season to get it done. You've come short a couple of games. You've drawn a few games. You can't quite get it done. I think Norwich scored a late a late goal to stop us winning <clears throat> a couple of weeks earlier. So it's a massive relief of emotions just to get the job done. Um, and Amit Bhatia put one hell of a party on for us that night in a in a London nightclub. I can tell you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you deserved, it. You definitely deserved it.
0: Oh, my body, my body didn't think that way in the morning. I can tell you.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Clint. Um, really great uh, chatting to you. And um, I know you've been. Um, as well, uh, you, like you, you work with with Joey Barton at Fleetwood now, so you're obviously yeah. um, you're obviously not um, not coaching and playing at the moment. What yeah. are your thoughts, like you know, take away from QPR? Um, <clears throat> what are your thoughts in terms of how we uh, sort out this mess of finishing the season?
0: Oh, that's, that's like the million dollar question at the moment. I think it needs to finish. I do think the season needs to finish somehow. Um, obviously the latest plans seem to be behind closed doors and, and stream it through um, social media I think um, I'm a big believer that you've got to finish the season off um, there's only I think we've got nine games left I think um, I think you can cram that into a short period of time I think we're all used to playing three games a week from championship and below so I don't see that as a problem um, and if we can get a good deal in terms of showing the games live to to fans around the world if if we're not allowed in the stadium then I I think that's the way forward Um, big believer though in in, in finishing the season definitely how they do that only time would tell
1: Cheers Clint thanks so much for your time today and and good luck when when Fleetwood do uh, restart later on thank you
0: thank you very much guys cheers Clint
1: and you
2: mate thanks for coming on
0: thank you mate.
2: cheers pal uh, he's, he's a legend like any let's be honest
1: he's he's funny he sees like the right kind of combo of um of honesty and then he does that classic like getting back into something a little bit serious he does a little joke and then he's like no but seriously um uh, when,
2: when, he, when he was on the live pod, we, we we had to be very careful about questions about Marc Hughes. i think that relationship um <laughs> didn't go so well
1: well to, even mackie last week the other day was uh was ready for a bit of a slip of the tongue there. Um, I want to ask you guys, what are your kind of most memorable games from that that season, or your favourite game from that season, the ten 11 one?
3: It's hard. It's hard to pick a favourite game. I was watching the um, watching the uh, the highlights back last week, as I, th- I think we all did. I'd forgotten we actually scored three amazing goals in the early games and they were all got pulled back and, and given as our penalty, which you're unlucky if that happens to you once. Um, and it happened three times. Adele scored from about 25 yards against Barnsley and he gave a penalty instead. And Akos got an absolute world here, Ipswich and it got dragged back for a, for a penalty. I mean, we scored the penalties, but, uh, would rather have had the uh, the worldies, I think. Um, that Ipswich away game always stands out to me. Carl Walker's debut and just going there and absolutely bashing them 3-0 Tuesday night up at Portman Road with a big, big away following. I, re- I remember that uh, that that evening. That was fantastic. I think for me,
2: it was, it was... Derby away was amazing. And, you know, you kind of got something really special from that one. But the game that I, for some reason, and I couldn't tell you why, because I was drunk as a skunk, was um, away to Cardiff. That was just an unbelievable performance. And it was, I think it was live on telly as well. And we absolutely hammered them. And you kind of knew, well, and the Leicester game, like I said earlier on, but the Cardiff game as well, I thought was amazing. We, that, was, that was a polished performance
3: that you'll ever see from promotion team. Can I do confession time at this point and say that I left Derby at 2 0? You're Never. kidding. I never, never, I didn't, I never, what? I wasn't there for the, uh, the Aggie Mang and Mackie goals. It was 2 0, 92nd minute and I, I left. <laughs> That's not like you. you. I know, be. I know, I never, I never do that, but I did that day and we, uh, we, we were walking across the, the car park and, uh, somebody rang me and said, oh, it's 2 2. And I was like, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, left. Confe- yeah. Confession there. Sorry.
4: Maybe you are the Chase. Yeah, but... Oh, dear. The Leic- yeah, the Leicester game, which I already mentioned. I mean, I wouldn't say it's my favourite game because I spent most of it chewing my fingernails off. But I think the, the, the resilience that Clint Hill talked about then, uh, uh, we showed him that game. Like I say, Paddy Kenny pulled off some amazing saves and then we'd, Ishmael Miller, whatever happened to him, like, uh, <coughs> nicked, it, nicked it at the end. Um, but also, I and, know, and, uh, the Leeds game. I mean, just for the, not, not the game itself, but I remember being, I think, <laughs> one of the pubs on the Uxbridge Road, um, the Conningham, I think it was, and then the news gradually started filtering out and people were piling out the pubs on the pavement hugging each other and the game itself was incidental but it was quite good to see Leeds players giving a guard of honour to QPR I don't think that'll like, ever happen again
2: <laughs> to be honest I was so emotionally drained I, I, I just couldn't believe it like everyone else because if anyone wasn't going to go up because of a stupid thing and then that whole article in the the horrible newspaper and stuff and the, the guy did it what was he talking out of his arse with the whole panic thing I just I think I just cried which is not not like me because I'm usually stone-cold, sober and very thoughtful. I and mean, it's, it's just one of the most amazing things. I have never, ever thought I'd see us go back because um, the way it was crumbling. Well, before Warner came in, you know, let's face it, we were going to leave one. Do you know what I mean? It was just like we were so going down. And then he came in, turned everything around. And that's one thing I don't understand why he doesn't get the credit he probably deserves sometimes. But to turn that team around who were bloody awful into a championship team within a year to me it's probably one of the most amazing things i've seen at qpr uh anyway
1: um, you obviously talked to to ali about um the 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 legal case and and everything that happened and that that pressure what what was it like for him you know potentially being the player that could have stopped us going up
3: i was uh my fear going into that interview was that he would say, yeah, it was bent and we got away with it. And then I was like, can they retrospectively take points off us? But actually, you know, it was interesting that he said that they'd investigated it at the time that he signed and when he renewed his contract and said it was fine only to then turn up, you know, a month before the end of the season and say, it's not fine. Um, I mean, yeah, like he says in the, in the interview, he seemed to, you know, not be oblivious to it, but actually played played really well in those uh, those final few games. I'd forgotten like, quite how many times he hit the post and the bar that season. Um, like some, some would have been incredible goals, and they'd come off the inside of the post. He's like the world's unluckiest human, isn't he? He's like three knee injuries and all of that. There
2: was, there was one game, Clive, when he when he dinged it over his own head and did a spin round and followed it from way out and hit the crossbar. I remember that. Yeah,
3: one. yeah, we saw we saw that on the highlights last week and had forgotten about that. I'd also forgotten we'd beat Reading with ten men twice. I mean, obviously the away game when Hogan got sent off and fallen, put Routledge through. I think we all remember that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The home game when we won three one and Tarat was just, you know, dirty boy and un- absolutely unplayable that day. Um Bradley Orr had been sent off quite early in that game, a bit of a, a dodgy decision. Um I remember that Reading team always used to have three men round the referee for every decision, and I'd forgotten we beat them with ten men twice that year. Um
1: all this nostalgia though, it just makes me so desperate for for that kind of taste of success and happiness again. When do you guys think we'll ever get that? <laughs>
2: I'll take a oh, nil-nil shit draw against Barnsley now, if I can go tomorrow, <laughs> I'll tell you. I'm desperate. I'm chewing me friggin' feet. It's ridiculous. I've never known... I'm even missing the crap games. I'm even smelling, you know, the, the, the whole lot of lost experience, the way it dares me mates, me pals, and all that sort of thing, I haven't got very many, so I only meet people at football who want to be my friends. Everyone else runs away. Um, so, yeah, I, I, do you know what? I can't see... I think we'll probably... I don't know what you, you guys think. Do you think football will be the last thing they let Peel
3: back into. I just I don't know uh, what, I, I don't know what football's going to look like when it when it comes back. I wouldn't like to to make you know any predictions really because we've been playing an FFP game for four or five years, haven't we? Getting our house in order while everybody else you know blows money here, there, and everywhere. I can't imagine FFP is going to be a thing now. So you know where where does that leave us? And I just I wouldn't like to hazard a guess of of, of what what football looks like you know when it when it does finally come back.
1: Well, probably. Well, sorry, Chris, do you want to add something? No, you don't carry on. No, I was all. I just. I know we've talked a lot about, you know, some of our top players this year, Boss, Eze, and it's it. I just think about the potential actually that this break could be for this team because the transfer market in the summer isn't going to be what it would have been if this hadn't have happened. And therefore, could those two players stay? And could we actually really build something next season?
4: The problem is, we don't know um, what next season's going to look like. I know, I know, but yeah, I mean, potentially, definitely. But when would next season start? If they, uh, I, I just, there's so many unanswered questions. But yeah, you would think that, that, this potentially uh, would give us the chance to hold on to those players, but who knows?
2: Well, surely we've got to finish the season with the players in the squad that we had for that transfer window. So whatever would happen, maybe teams might buy them and they can't play them until the new season. Who knows? But yeah, I think as Clint Hill says, we've got to get the season finished. We've got to then see where we go from there. But I do worry what financial state not only we're going to be in, but how many teams are going to come out of this because a lot of clubs in league 1 and 2 i reckon are probably almost going to go bankrupt which is and i don't know how we can get around that unless the bigger clubs
3: help the weak clubs out you know it's going to be really tricky
1: i'll end anyone who wants to kick off
3: i'll um i'll jump in um and and do man cuz i missed your cult heroes uh i missed your cult heroes episode um Listened to it. Uh, Listened to it on my run earlier this week. It was very good. But I just, I wanted to flag up. Um, one of mine was Devon White, who did, uh, who did get a mention. But someone who didn't, um, and was actually a big part of the the reason things fell apart. I think in the end was uh, Rob Steiner, um, who oh God, uh... never never really gets us- a sort of any kind of mention among and actually when he was here a lot of people didn't think he was any good but i he i always thought he was a really underrated back to goal uh target man striker you set a lot of goals up for kiwamia and um, came in one season from bradford and helped us stay up and then the following season we actually pushed on into the top half almost a playoff push that sort of Stuart wardley jermaine darlington kiwamia steiner team um, and then he got injured that summer. We'd loaned Paul Furlong in to replace him and he got injured, which is how we ended up with very young Peter Crouch playing up front. And I think his injury, that injury to Steiner and kiwomio was a big part of the reason that that second Jerry Francis team fell apart. So just a, a little shout out there. I was going to go for, for Rob Steiner as my second cult hero.
2: And that's sending off at Fulham as well, which I still well which I was arguing about and I'll still argue about, even though it was probably correct at the time. But yeah, it was um Rob,
3: a Rob Styles classic, that
2: one. Yeah. I mean people tell me it was right. I I I've never really seen it back and I don't care But Styles was always wrong in my eyes. But yeah, he was and do you know what? He was a strong as well, wasn't he, Clive? He was an amazingly strong player. he wasn't the biggest in the world, but bloody hell, you couldn't get him off the ball.
3: Yeah, really, really good player. I, I, I always liked him probably a lot more than than anybody else does. I remember he used to get quite a bit of stick from the crowd, but wouldn't be the first uh, player that's remembered fondly, you know, after after the time at, at QPR, having got a bit of stick when he played. Like Mick Leach, the most famous example of that.
2: Well said. Um, my hour's end is very short, and that is thank you, Clive, for your interview with Ali Fulan. It was amazing. It was brilliant. And in lockdown and everything else, it was one of the best interviews I've read done by a proper QPR fan. And I'm not blowing smoke up your arse because I'll be abusing you when I see you. But well bloody done. I I really enjoyed that. And I think you did the lad a huge credit in doing that. And just a quick update for one of my mum. She's home and hopefully she's going to be okay, but we don't know yet. But thanks everyone who keeps sending me things on Twitter as well. I really appreciate it. And um, you're all good sports. What a great club.
0: Oh,
4: Nice one, Finney. And yeah, echo that. Well done, Clive. It's a, it was a tip-top read. And every time we had him on the podcast, uh, he was absolutely brilliant, including the one he did with the kids. That's uh, Ali Forlan, not Clive. Um, I, <laughs> but, but just shout out to one of our, another of our former strikers, Dexter Blackstock, who um, has been uh, putting it on Twitter. He's been, he, I don't know what company he's involved in, but they're, they're donating and, and supplying... Um, PPE equipment to the NHS. So uh yeah, hats off to him for doing that.
2: Brilliant. Can I can I tell oh, you about sorry. an awkward can I can I just tell you about an awkward moment this week? I she knew we weren't gonna go I
3: knew you were, I knew your R's end wasn't just gonna be
2: that. Am I wrong? Am I wrong <laughs> in, in, in being twisted in this one? Um I got a phone call from where Mum lives and they know that I'm Rangers, obviously, and they were like going just just to check. Um Chelsea Football Club players are paying for meals for the, the residents in mum's shelter accommodation. What do you feel about that? And I go, mum will be fine with the salad. <laughs> so um, we, 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 she didn't have anything. Is that, is that a terrible thing to do? Because apparently it was all very nice food, but I don't really care. And I don't think your mother
3: cares really anyway, but I did feel a bit guilty, but it was right, wasn't it? If they're paying, I'd be having five courses and a steak. Really?
2: Well. Just, just didn't want me, mum's me flat contaminated
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. the Final end is a very quick one. Um, shout out to I think the youngest QPR podcast listener, George Sharp, who did a little interview with Anger Rangel, uh, a junior hoop interview, um, and. As I'm sure, uh, it's a it's a good one. As as George is um, a budding journalist and uh, definitely has the the skills to to make sure it's not an easy ride for Rangel. So, yeah, I think that's all we're going to chat about today. Um, and we may need some suggestions for the next couple of weeks if we haven't got any behind closed doors even action to talk about. So. Uh, Thanks for listening all and if you've got any suggestions of what we can chat about because we might have exhausted all the uh, all the themes then please do let us know on uh, the QPR podcast Twitter and uh, probably same again next week I think guys.
2: Cheers Yep, nothing planned
1: <laughs> Thanks everybody
0: QPR, QPR,